The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017. Warning, the following contains plot spoilers and naughty language. That means explicit content. And the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad, it's just a show. Welcome to Pop Off! My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey, you'll think this is fun. Um, so I uh, just the other day uh, waited a couple weeks between before posting the first and second episode of the show that you're listening to right now. Um, and if you listen to the first one, it says the Totally Super Podcast coming out March <laughs> 2017. Because <laughs> I totally expected we're like going to be two and done. Um, mm-hmm. The Totally Super Podcast will be coming out. April or May. As soon as we're done talking about Angel, which let's be honest, we have no idea how long this is going to freaking last. <laughs> Suddenly we're talking about Firefly and much ado about nothing and <laughs> Dr. Horrible. <laughs> There's so much to talk about when it comes to Yeah, Joss we'd Whedon. really be scraping into the Whedon case. This is our last chance to just decide to do a Whedon podcast instead. I'm just saying. Are we are we getting into the Whedons? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Trademark and Light Entertainment. It came out first. Getting into the Whedons. <laughs> <laughs> um so uh we are tonight uh, as we were before going into the third uh season of angel um first airing uh 924 um like this sort of feels like a make or break season uh a little bit because like they they as we talked about in the last episode really course corrected and made a big left turn for the end of the season to like to get rid of the the sprawling out uh Darla thing um interestingly it seems like like they kind of bravely went went back into it and doubled down on Darla for a little bit a little yeah except she would like her arc i enjoyed a lot more this season i think it might have been because it was shorter um, sure and uh but yeah it was for deciding to go back to Darla again uh, it strangely it didn't really bother me, and actually I thought the I thought her arc had a beautiful finish. Yeah, no, I mean as a matter of fact, I would put the end of her arc that we'll get to tonight um, up there with any of the most emotional moments in all of Angel. Absolutely, um, and they're willing to go there. So let's just start off. Um, we start off on nine twenty four of two thousand one. Heartthrob on a routine patrol. Angel stakes a female vampire, and just before she crumbles to dust, she calls him in jealous, and he recognizes her from his soulless past. Now her grief stricken lover, Angel's old hunting companion, is out for revenge for both the present killing and the betrayal Angelus committed over two hundred years ago. Um, this episode. Brings us to the to a question that, and, and again, I'm stealing this from Dusted a little bit, which is a great podcast and everybody should listen to when they're not listening to this one. Um, but this one's going to be over in like two episodes, so go for it. Um, I Can vampires truly love without a soul? Um, which definition of love are you using? Because there are a bunch of them. Sure. Um, this seems to be a real committed, like like romantic love the, the, these guys seem to be for lack of a better term soulmates 
Oh, that's it. You know, I'd say that's an interesting distinction. Um, I would agree. They are absolutely, even though they're, they don't have souls, they are definitely soulmates. Um, I'm getting super metaphysical here. And so, the, I mean, ultimately, no, I think the question, here. can vampires love without a soul? That's, you know, you're going to find a million answers to that. Um, and there's certainly no right answer. My God. Um, I would say that love in the sense that we know it uh, doesn't just involve romantic love, uh, doesn't just involve chemistry, but also involves this understanding that, uh, you know, the love that you feel for your partner or for your family, it comes from and adds back to the general love of humanity and the worth of human life. Okay. Uh, so essentially it's, uh, it's almost like if there's sort of like this baseline of, you know, loving, uh, of loving humanity, there's a spike for, uh, so to speak, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's a spike in the, in terms of the intensity that you feel of that towards those who are closest to you. Uh, can evil, I- I, so so then that goes into the can evil creatures love can and I would say what they experience is intense chemistry that translates into happiness um, but it's still ultimately selfish uh, there's not really so much you know anything that they give to their partner ultimately still comes down to because of what they get from it uh, the vampire and this the you know the former lover uh, what he feels from the loss of her is, uh, you know, he felt completed because they were two people or vampires that were magically so perfect for each other that they never really had to sacrifice that much of themselves in order to make the other person happy. Uh, well, as anyone in a good long-term marriage knows, sometimes you actually do have to do that. So uh, um, so anyway, that's my that's my long-winded thought on it. When I think about the the metaphysics of the show, I think the answer to the question in season one of Buffy is absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not at all possible. Um, This gets complicated by the fact that despite everything she does to him at the end of season two of Buffy, when, when Drusilla is horribly injured, Spike saves her. Doesn't take revenge. Like he, he, and eventually you hear that maybe there was some punishment for it, but Spike's feelings for Drusilla seem to be genuine and not mm-hmm. entirely self serving. And by this time in Buffy, by the time this is, you know, this is coinciding with season six of Buffy, um, Spike absolutely is struggling with the fact that he is feeling love um, for Buffy. That is a genuine love that he that his evil side is sort of conflicting with the love that he has. That's true. And the, and the metaphysics of Buffy seems to be that Spike's inability to commit violence has allowed love to grow because he's got a chip that prevents him from committing mm-hmm. violence. And that has allowed his humanity to grow within him despite the presence of a soul. And he just keeps sort of messing up over and over again in a big way, in a very rapey way, over on Buffy. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you know, then- it really does, it really muddies the waters over what the heck a soul is. And I think the, I mean, 
I think the short answer to that, according to Buffy and Angel, is the soul is whatever serves the story we're trying to tell at this moment. In this episode, uh, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, because it does come and go. I mean, shoot, even talking about that episode in Angel's, uh, in season one of Angel where, you know, suddenly he's turned into Angelus just because he takes ecstasy. Yeah. You know. Well, and I, I think that I, I think that ultimately the 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 not that there is an answer. I don't think this this episode provides an answer, but I think that it's what Angel does so well. It's the reason that I prefer. I think I prefer Angel to to Buffy as as a as a piece um, in mm-hmm. in its whole. Is that in Buffy, you are absolutely okay with the idea that she is she's a from a, from vampire's point of view, she's a serial killer. Like she yeah. doesn't encounter evil and save people. She goes out patrolling to find vampires to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Angel's goal is to save people. And if he kills vampires on the way, way then okay. That's um, an interesting distinction. This makes it, this makes it a little less okay. Like there are vampires out there that maybe were in super, super duper love with one another. That Buffy without a second thought is putting a stake through their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is vampires who we know now can conceivably be rehabilitated. So yeah. I think I think it muddies the water, which is what not which is not a problem for me. I think is what Angel does so very well. Yeah, I would say Angel does a better job of muddy or Angel does a better job of handling those gray areas than Buffy did. Uh, you know, actually, what I would say is if you treat Angel as a show completely on its own. Um, nothing to do with Buffy whatsoever, then it requires a lot less uh, retro canon to make this episode at the beginning of season three work. The concept of vampires being creatures of not pure evil, but more of a moral spectrum, uh, I think is that Angel makes a much stronger case from for that from the get go. But they're doing it over. They're doing it with Spike. It's inter- It's it's an interesting thing. It's what I mean. Again, again for all you you know, Vampire Diaries fan. I'm sure it's a great show. But come on. Um. All right. Next episode. That vision thing. Uh. Some stuff happens and then Cal Penn is there. Um. That, oh God, uh, you're right. <laughs> yes. Uh, when Cordelia's visions begin to manifest as painful physical wounds, Lauren tries to use telepathy to find out why this is happening to her and how the visions can be stopped. Meanwhile, lawyers from Wolfram and Hart make another visit to Angel's Hotel um, because uh, that's what is the real problem on Angel bureaucracy. Um, but the, the, the <laughs> telepath doing it to evil. her, the, Cal Penn in a random episode. Um, what? <laughs> well, heck. Buffy got uh, Joel Gray at the end of season five, so yeah. It's the, the what I'm wondering, and I'm going to do a, a quick uh, search. Is the first Harold and Kumar came out? Uh, oh, it's 2004. I guess this would be three years before that. But I got to think that uh, Van Wilder must have been like right around the same time. Yeah, maybe. Um, interesting. Uh, anything to say about this episode except like? It's an episode of Angel. Not really. It's it's it's. Is it a misstep for I them think, to be now doubling down on the fact that these are lawyers doing lawyer things to get to Angel? I don't think it's a misstep. I think that's part of the sparkle of the show. Um, the it it can it contributes to the overall theme of the show being evil doesn't just fight with fangs; it fights with 
all of these delightful tools that civilization has provided it. Fair enough. Uh, next episode, that, that, that old gang of mine, Gunn finds himself stuck between old and new allegiances when he learns that a string of brutal and indiscriminate demon murders is the work of members of his former gang. Even Lorne's usually peaceful club isn't immune to the violence. Poor Caritas is just getting trashed every week. Um, <laughs> every to, week. You know, I wonder what the insurance is on it. That's my one question. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm at this point, how do you feel about the, the continuing of going back to the well for, for guns being torn between these two at this point he's come back from another dimension is this one time too many or are you are you uh, still okay for is, one more visit well the impression that i get with this episode is it does sort of really address the issue with some sense of finality which honestly i don't think they really fully did in season two so i'm okay with that yeah i and and i agree but I i'd think say that, they'd better be closing it up right now yeah like because they better close the storyline um uh, there is a great bit at the end of the episode, though, um, and we've talked about it before, where uh, where Angel speaks to Gunn, and you know they've they've had their their good and bad moments, and Gunn uh, has proved his trustworthiness by not killing Angel, but Angel, and this from Wikipedia clarifies that you'll prove that I can trust you when the day comes that you have to kill me, and you mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Um, I think that's I think that's incredibly profound for their relationship because up to this point. Gun has, you know, th- there has been that problem with with Gun's relationship with vampires as it comes to you know the death of his crew and stuff, and and Angel being a vampire. This upfront acknowledgement of it, I think, kind of puts it to bed as well. Well, I'd say it's sort of it's the same thing of uh, uh, Superman, you know, giving kryptonite to Batman and saying. This is just in case, and you're the one who I trust to hold on to this. And if we ever get in a fight, just let's remind each other of our mom's names. Yeah. Um, uh, Angel, do do do. Next episode, uh, Carpe Noctum. An old man casts a body switching bell on spell on Angel. Angel is old, and the old man is young. Um, can we just say that again? David Boreanaz is doing something else with the character. Um, if we think about back to Buffy season one, his like the quality of of his acting here mm-hmm. is and, uh, let me so fun. do a quick tangent here into i was uh i mean i haven't watched it for like five or six seasons because god it's been going on for so long but i watched like the first four seasons of bones and uh-huh. i think uh david boreanaz's character in that Sealy booth was a character that was perfectly written for him because the two things that boreanaz does real well are that sort of cocky smirky uh you know, slight comedic thing, as well as while his brooding has never thrilled me, he delivers a great speech when needed. Mm-hmm. And Seely Booth is able to do both of those things. It's the perfect blend of serious and comic uh, for Boreanaz. So well, uh, that was my I, tangent. Again, when when you when you see the the and again, by the way, between let's. Complete uh, left turn uh, between our last episode and this episode. There's been the big celebration online. I'm sure we've all seen of the 20th anniversary of the first episode of Buffy. Like everybody's been doing interviews about it. Um, oh, really? Included? Yeah, 20 yeah, years shows, ago uh, last week. Shows how is, much I've been uh, out of it this past week. Well, that's what you get for having an important life. Um, uh, two things. An interesting thing about this episode. One, uh, of course, the presence of of Daniel Day Kim as Gavin Park. Um, mm-hmm. Anyone who's a Lost fan is 
wonderful to see him here. Um, but uh, also, this is sort of the end of the Fred has a crush on Angel a bit because because Old Man Angel is just horrific to Fred. Um, mm-hmm. uh, which again, being horrific is something that Boreanaz is also able to do. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, at the end of the episode, of course, uh, um, Angel says, uh, "We'll be better off without uh, love in my life." And then, of course, Willow calls, and Buffy has been revived, and she's alive again. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the next episode, we get to Fredless. Uh, Fred's parents make a surprise visit to Angel Investigations, and rather being happy to see them, Fred seems terrified and flees the scene. Not trusting Mr. and Mrs. Burkle, the gang prepares to pr- protect Fred from them, providing that she can be found. Um, I like this liked, episode. The yeah, I liked the fact that it really like Fred legitimately just had good parents, uh, and I also like the fact that the way that in the end they addressed the whole oh the you know the vampires thing was instead of trying to tell this elaborate lie, uh, I appreciated that there was more of the sense of okay, mom, dad, so there's vampires and demons, and this is what I do. Uh, I really really like it when any show uh gets rid of the very tired trope of we have to hide this magical secret from the grown-ups or from the normals and instead just treats people with respect and with this understanding that they might have some modicum of intelligence well and i and i i agree with you the it's regarding her parents it's hard for me um at times you know to think of of this relationship and her parents and and because we we sort of get a, a denouement to the story at in an episode called a hole in the world that we'll get to in season five um mm-hmm. so it hurts a little to see them here um i the 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 two things i want to i want to re- say regarding uh, fred here my brain sorry my brain's going in two different directions uh the first thing um when Fred asks about uh, Buffy and Angel's relationship, um, Cordelia and Wesley's show, their their little play, the pantomime they put on about Buffy and Angel, <laughs> is hilarious. That's right. Um, yeah. Um, and is and is worth is worth it for that alone. But at the end of the episode, for anybody who's been watching up to this point, Fred has been kind of writing on the wall and 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 sort of documenting her story, um, and and is documenting uh, is documenting Angel. Um, and this is the point where she sort of, she, whereas the story was tacked up in the episode before, she is now accepting that the crush on Angel is done. She is something else than what she was before. Um, and this also, uh, this, this also is the, uh, introduction of Fred into the opening credits. Oh, so, you're right. So she is now so part of- So it's an official- of, Yeah. Which is, I, I, you know, that had to have been a deliberate choice to, uh, to hold it off just to preside some- a little bit of element of okay, well, is Fred the new member of the gang or not? Yeah. Um. Uh. A, a side note. Uh. Uh. They say that Fred Fred's mother mentions that her husband fell asleep while watching Alien Resurrection, which is really funny. Which um, is really funny. By the way, um, Alien Resurrection, the original script that Joss Whedon wrote, is available online. If you look for it, it is so good. Yeah. I'm well, and what's it interesting? Going, Why couldn't they make this movie? Well, here's the thing: if you the script almost matches the movie that you see in terms of the lines being said, like words being said, um, mm-hmm. but it has as much to do with what the author intended it to feel like as, let's say, the Leonardo DiCaprio Romeo and Julio, Juliet had to do with what Shakespeare was going for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost as if they said every single line wrong, like that every every bit of of heart or wryness or snark that would be there has been sucked out of it. And despite that, there are some real moments of Jossie brilliance in there. It is a proto Firefly. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt yeah. that it's a proto Firefly. That um, and Atla- I, that and Disney's Atlantis are both proto Fireflies. Did Joss do Atlantis? Yes, or he was he was part of it, which is why the banter between the the group of ragtag explorers is so good. Oh, now I got to go back. I haven't seen it. I have not seen Atlantis since before I was a Joss Whedon. I don't quote me one hundred percent on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. I mean, there's a thing when they find a uh, you're like you remember when the I think the the natives of Atlantis they fly around in these like little fish uh, these magical fish uh, machines. And uh, one of the the Russian explorers is just like, I don't know. Do you have anything more sporting? Like, you know, a tuna? I mean, it's classic Joss writing. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm going to have to check it out now. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Next episode, Billy, um, uh, in which. Oh, I uh, love this one. uh, A young man, the angel was forced to free from a demon prison a few weeks earlier. Billy's merest touch can cause an otherwise good man to become violently misogynistic. And of course, that's that's Wesley who gets paired with Fred. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me just say with this one, I just recently rewatched this episode. And uh, I mean, obviously, um, rampant, abusive, you know, physically abusive misogynists was a bad thing 14 years ago, too. Yeah. But. In the past few years, there has been a real opening of social consciousness. Like, we're just starting to finally understand just how deep and endemic the problem is. Uh, and it's uh, it's kind of like going back and watching, you know, it's like watching Will and Grace now in an era of, you know, while things aren't perfect, you know, you know things are a lot better uh, you know, for the LGBT community than they were sure. during the era of Will and Grace. Uh, so it's interesting to see what sticks until and what Will and doesn't. Grace comes back in like three months. But anyway, oh gosh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. But with this, this Billy, it really. I mean, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, God, what a douche. This time, it's like, wow, I might hate this villain more than just about any other villain I've hated on Angel. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. It's 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 uncomfortable. Um, it also does that Joss thing that it does so well in that one, uh, it allows um, yet another strong female character to be a hero um, of all people, Lila. Um, it also, oh, um, yeah. and then it also rips your heart out because Wesley is falling in love with Fred and then mm-hmm. is horrific to her and yeah. then has to deal with the guilt of what he does. Is this... Is this the first time we've really seen the level of darkness that that Alexis Denisov can do? I think so. Yeah, as an actor, I think this is definitely it. Um, offspring is the crew researches a prophecy predicting the imminent arrival of a being who may have a profound impact on the world. Darla arrives at the hotel, pregnant, angry, and looking for daddy. A- a- Angel Cordelia heard the angel not tell her about this night with Darla. Takes Darla's side in the matter, and baffled by how the pregnancy is even possible, Angel and the company turn to Lorne for some insight. I'm just going to go right on to the next episode. Uh, sure. A- uh, Angel must do everything in his power to protect Darla and their unborn child. When Wolfram and Hart launches a full-scale attack to take mother and baby, and to make matters worse. The gang is also 
also threatened by a vampire cult who believe this baby is the miracle child. And finally, episode nine, lullaby with Darla's contractions getting closer together. The Angel Investigations gang is surprised when she flies into a frenzy and runs away from them. Now Angel must track her down in time to safely deliver their baby. However, their old nemesis, the vampire hunter Holtz, is now present in, pre- is now in present day LA. And after hundreds of years, he's finally closing in on his quarry. And then Darla. Um, okay. Well, well yeah. first we need to we need to talk, we can't just like mention Holst as a throwaway here. He's rather a crucial part of this season, and he's um, been building up to this point. And he and they've been and he's been building up. It's interesting that the synopses don't mention him too much. Um, yeah, I think he's a great nemesis for. Uh, he's a great nemesis for Angel, both in terms of as a character, uh, as well as really bringing to the forefront the question of the morality of vengeance. Uh, which is a a very deep well of material, uh, and I love the fact that Holst is. I mean, there have been a lot of shows where there's somebody who is dedicated to vengeance, uh, but what I like with Holst is that Holst is incredibly smart and is incredibly creative with it. You um, know, I I'm with you up to this point. Up to this point, I agree with everything you just said. Holtz will eventually get to the point for me where what he's doing is unconscionable. Um, oh, and, yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. Everything about... I, I do not think he is a moral character at all. I like him like, but I as think he viewer. starts that way. I think I think that I think there is a point in in his arc, and maybe even at this point I'm not there, but I think there is a point in his arc where from a certain point of view, you could be kind of with him. I right. think, and I think the moment I agree with you, and I think the moment where that shifts is the moment where, right after, uh, again, and we're like that epic moment where Darla stakes herself to save the baby, uh, and Holst has Angel in his sights with the crossbow. Angel's holding his newborn son, and Holst lowers the crossbow. Now, in that moment, as a viewer, you're thinking. Oh, Holst has realized that the vampire can love and he's decided that he yeah. doesn't have it in him to kill an infant because that is something that a lot of shows have done with that traditional. And don't get me wrong. That's a, you know, when that happens in shows, that is a beautiful moment. Um, you know, I am all about shows talking about the redemptive power of forgiveness, but th- to then twist it and have Holst say, oh, no, I didn't kill him then because I just realized there's a way to make him suffer even worse that's the mo- what that is a great sort of punch in the gut to people who thought Holst was sort of becoming a redeeming character and that is what sends him plummeting off the deep end what i like on. what i like and dislike i holtz was very problematic for me in that i feel like he started off as a villain who i would have liked who i'd have found a lot more interesting who from his point of view he's doing the right thing Mm-hmm. You know, that one, he deserves his vengeance. And two, the people around Angel are supporting, you know, Angel, who is ultimately evil. And no matter how many people Angel saves now, he's going to return to like there, there. There is a story that could have been in there where Angel was, you know, where trying to kill Angel was the right thing to do from Holtz's point of view. Um, mm-hmm. There is a point where he becomes very mustache twirling, where there's a point where he becomes he's just he's a bad guy who's going to do bad things because he's mad. But as we'll get to later on, um, you know, spoilers for if you haven't seen Angel. And if you haven't seen Angel, what are you doing? Yeah, seriously. My God, you're on, see, you're, you're on episode three of this podcast. 
Yes. Yeah. And really, episode like six of the whole Buffy thing. Like, really. Mm -hmm. That being said, um, Holtz eventually develops a a relationship with Connor where I absolutely believe he cares about him. Yeah. Um, And which then returns him to a back into the light enough that his darkness is more uncomfortable. So it's he is an interesting character, although sometimes... A little mustache twirly for me. Um, a little mustache twirly. I'd agree with it. I think Holtz is a classic example of the, and you and I have talked about this before. I am a, uh, I'm fascinated with the question of hatred uh, and with the problem of hatred and what happens when you allow it into you. Uh, because as you say, Holst starts off. And many people who start down a path of vengeance start off thinking, no, this is the right thing to do. This is an evil being. They must be stopped. Uh, but gradually, you know, bit by bit, you start justifying actions that you otherwise would not have taken in service to this quote unquote higher cause. Uh, it is the, you know, and essentially Holst is a classic example of if you allow yourself to hate something as a monster and you pursue it with that kind of uh, rage, you inevitably become the very monster that you were trying to destroy. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's, I think that's fair. Um, I, and again, it's, the show is, the show is what it is. And, and there's, you know, I should be tuning in from a certain point of view to, to see this, this level of, of, you know, good versus evil. The show is about good versus evil, you know, and I, I don't ever question Holland manners for the things that he does. He just does the things that he does. I mm-hmm. think that, that hatred, it seems to me is not enough. Um, because I find that, that Holtz is empathetic. It, he strikes me as empathetic enough that, that he would not allow himself to hurt other innocent people who weren't angel. And yet he does. And it, it's, it's a little frustrating, but again, like I said, he, I feel like he goes into most mustache twirl, but then comes back into the light enough where mm-hmm. you see him struggle with it and then kind of decide, you know what? I'm going to, I, I'm going to like, you see him struggle with it where he goes, okay, now I know I'm doing wrong and I'm doing it anyway. And I'm not quite seeing it yet. Um, I want to mm-hmm. talk real quick about Arla's, uh, Darla's, uh, the return of Darla's soul, mm-hmm. um, which is probably my favorite thing about this whole little arc. Um, mm-hmm. Is is Darla, the life inside her, having the soul slowly grow back in her, is so heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Um, well, and especially the moment, the fact that she. Like that sense of, I mean, the most heartbreaking thing is she says, if I deliver this baby, then the soul will be out of me and I won't be able to love my own child. Um, That is, uh, that's heartbreaking. Uh, Also, interestingly, goes back to that question that we started this this episode with. Can a vampire love? Mm -hmm. Um, Let's just, let's just bring it to the end. Uh, Darla's in the alley. It's raining. Uh, Angel's sitting over her and she stakes herself with the baby remaining behind. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, up there with, and, and I feel like, I feel like because it wasn't a, a shocking death, I feel like it sort of gets glossed over in the list of, of painful jaws deaths. And it was, you know, 
Tim Minier wrote it, so maybe it's not a Jaws death, but it... it and, I mean, to be honest, it's actually one of my preferred deaths. I mean, what a phrase, preferred deaths. I know. Um, I mean, interestingly enough, I'm actually kind of done with the shocking Joss death. Um, the, I mean, don't get me wrong, he does them very, very well. Uh, but there comes a certain point, I, and I don't know, maybe it's just one of those things where it's just like... Now I just feel like you're stabbing me with that, you know, with the sadness knife just because you can. Um, was it was it was it the death of Coulson in the Avengers where it seemed a little perfunctory? I was like, no, that, Coulson, that's the one. Actually, interestingly, Coulson's de- well because Coulson's death wasn't so much a shocking death. Like that actually served the story really well, and it wasn't a minor kick. So, like, uh, like case in point, well, jumping ahead real quick. Um, again, spoilers. Sure. But like Fred's death, it starts, so it's not a drawn out arc. Literally, she is poisoned and dies within the same episode. Uh, So there's no, you just get this weird sense that, whoa, and especially since it's happened literally right after smile time, there's just a sense of, wow, you just made a left turn real quick there, like the show did. Um, Again, was the story told well? Yes, absolutely. And the yeah, I was about way to say that, it's like one of my favorite episodes. Well, and no, and here's the thing, and, and which is why I mean, if people like, and which is why this is just, this is purely me. It, this is uh, it was well done, um, and the way that they handled Wesley's grief for the remainder of that season was wonderful. Um, it's just sort of as a personal preference, uh, I kind of, and maybe it's just the point where I am in life as a personal preference. Uh, it's like I'd love to watch a show where I know I could get through one season without, you know, so blinking and then suddenly having one of my favorite characters getting killed off. Yeah, I mean, I I see that. I think at the very least, Fred's death, along with this death, gives you an episode to sort of deal with the death. Whereas the stereotypical Joss death is, you know, you know, Wash or Joyce or Tara mm-hmm. or or Coulson, where it's like they're standing there, they're fine one second, and then blah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoy yeah. the at least slightly slower burn of this, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and the fact is, and Darla's never been a member of the gang. She's been a great, she's been a character that we've gotten to know and understand. And I think this is a fi- this final, this final act of sacrifice, this redemptive moment is a, it's and it says with absolute total finality, this is the end of Darla's story arc. Um. And uh, and it's a beautiful moment. It's uh, the entire question of like Darla's entire arc on Angel to a certain extent has built around the major dramatic question of is she going to accept her humanity again? Uh, will she be able to find some measure of redemption? And her death, besides being that's what it is. Her death is not meant to create an emotional reaction in another character. Or to provide a sense of danger for the viewer. Her death actually answers the question of her, her story. Her dramatic question. That's and, fair. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, because t- like Tara's death in Buffy. It's it just was to motivate purely co- It was purely to motivate. Well, I mean, in a sense, I don't know. Have you ever heard the term fridging? Oh, yeah. About the Green, the yeah. green Lantern comes home and finds his girlfriend in the crate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So essentially, you know, fridging is killing off a woman to... Uh, 
to provide some emotional motivation for a male hero. You know, uh, like I did with everybody in Ninjas versus Monsters. Can I yeah. offer this this very public apology right now about Ninjas versus Monsters? <laughs> it was called hey, out we- to me that I did that that at the end of the movie there are three male characters who are all alive and mad because their female counterparts have been horribly <laughs> murdered in front of them. That's the end of the last narrative movie I made, which is why everybody should go watch Trek Off. Um, I love Ninjas vs. Monster. I'm very proud of it. But like yeah. now that I look back at it, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Like, no. What, no, here, that's a, that's a good thing, though. We should all, uh, you know, somebody, uh, once when they were reviewing Frozen, uh, commented on how it seems like in many ways Disney, with every movie that they make, is somehow apologizing for a movie that they made 50 years earlier. <laughs> and yeah, no, I'm okay absolutely. with that. It's 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 about it's about we're we're all of us continuously growing towards a better understanding of this sort of thing. Um, I, but I so, just, so anyway, I, I don't. Yeah. So I would classify Tara as fridging, even though Willow's not a dude. Yeah, no, but it's it's, it's the yeah. same sort of thing. Is it just like that was just. So, so Darla, but Darla's thing is not that at all. It is a, it is her choice. It is a strong moment for her, and in a moment, and it is a moment that answers a, a deep question for her. I would say, I would go as far as to say that Darla gets the best. It in in a couple of shows, in in Buffy and Angel, um, a duet of shows, if you will. Um, you have had uh, uh, numerous journeys from soulless monster to you know to good guy to humanity mm-hmm. the discovery of humanity from a lack of humanity uh yeah. spike makes the transition so easily that he kind of makes fun of angel for how hard his transition was <laughs> um, yeah. uh, um an angel by the time you see him has already made it so mm-hmm. is is darla the best example of of this major dramatic question that is a huge part of both shows, is it best exemplified by Darla? I think the answer is probably it's yes. Enti- it's entirely possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd go with you on that. So then the show makes a turn that I'm sure scared a lot of uh, a lot of people as we go through the next uh, through the next five or six episodes, which is Angel's a dad to a cute little baby. <laughs> and I'm sure that that if I it's good thing for those of you who could to binge watch it that he's he's a dad to a cute little baby on twelve ten of two thousand one, and that um, that storyline doesn't make a turn to something else until April fifteenth of two thousand two. Um, yeah, and here's man, I tell you, there's certain things that as soon as you introduce them into a storyline, it's a it's a red flag because it gets mishandled so much. Uh, you know, one of the characters having a baby that that is a those are tricky waters to negotiate. It's like or somebody also like somebody uh, any plot involving time travel or Ted uh, McKnight. it's not that. That's yeah, it's much. not that it it's not that it can't work. It's that it is extraordinarily difficult to make it work without it seeming like in the case of time travel, very confusing. And in the case of oh, a beloved character now with a baby to keep it from seeing uh, from seeming awkward. That being yeah. said, we are both two guys talking about this. So, I sure. mean, so here's the thing. There might be some people who absolutely love that arc and I would completely understand it. Yeah, but, but in, if you look at the list of things on like jumptheshark.com, this is going to mm-hmm. be one of them. Like it has yeah. a, you know, introduction of a cute little baby. Um 
Uh, but I like where it goes. Um, Angel mm-hmm. discovers how hard it is to be a, a dad because everybody's looking for this this mir- miracle baby. Um, uh, moving into provider, the one after. Uh, um, there's advertising, and Angel splits up to cover more ground, and it spreads too thin uh, uh, for its own good. Uh, Angel takes a job from a high-paying businessman. Gun and Wesley protect a woman whose zombie ex-boyfriend is stalking her. Um, it's a little bit lighter stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Then we get to a very beautiful episode, uh, Waiting in the Wings. Where Angel takes the gang out for an evening at the ballet, but becomes suspicious. Oh, when the prima this ballerina gorgeous. Seems yeah. to be the one he saw at a dance more than a century ago. The prima ballerina, of course, being Summer Glau. Um, yeah. From Firefly, when Angel and Cordelia sneak backstage to investigate, they find themselves consumed in a naturally sudden and strong passion for one another. Um, mm-hmm. This is this is a, a a fair enough time to ask the question. Um, I. Cordangela? Was that what you would you call them? What would you call the combination? Cordangel? Cordangel. Um yeah. a fan? Not a fan? Does it work? Did it does it seem shoehorned in? Your thoughts? Uh I liked Cordy. Um I thought they uh I thought they did a good job of growing it. Um yeah, I would have been okay with it. It wasn't like uh I usually don't tend to be a huge shipper uh in uh in a lot of things, but uh but I'd say it, it, it had they chosen to really go that way, I think it could have worked. Um, the uh, I think now looking back on it, I think even by the end of season three, uh, Charisma Carpenter was kind of on the way out of the show. Um, I do not like what they did with Cordy in season four. Um, no. She went from being, as it turned out, essentially she was a she was a tool. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean literally, she was just a tool for the entirety of the season. Um, I think I think the problem they got into with Cordy, um, and again, I'm stealing this thought a little bit from from Dusted, is that is that Cordy is never really well defined on Angel. There are like mm, three different Cordys. Yeah. There's yeah. there's bitchy Cordy, which she is when the episode needs her to be that. There's ditzy mm-hmm. Cordy. Um, who, when the episode needs her to be that, and they and and she is what they call the comedy mule, um, a little too often. Yeah. Cordy was and never. And then there's the, like, and then there's den mother Cordy, essentially. Yeah, and then there's absolutely capable Cordy, who's. Um, mm-hmm. I think that the introduction of a much more interesting female character like Fred didn't leave room for this poorly defined character of Cordy. And I, I would like, agree with that. Yeah, that's a good point because it's sort of yeah, Cordy. She was always fuzzy, and as soon as you intru- you're right. As soon as you introduce a wonderfully specific character like Fred, uh, and like Gunn, and then mm-hmm. and and even Wesley, and like although, Wesley, yeah. Although even well, here's the thing, Wesley comes into focus this season. Well, and here's the thing about Wesley: Wesley changes over the course of the show, but you always know exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. That's the thing: you know where he is on his arc in the show, and yeah. he's arcing. I don't really get the sense that she's arcing. I never really like you really think of her from the beginning of Angel to the end of Angel. She's mm-hmm. softer than she was at the end of Buffy, certainly smarter, yeah. more capable. But but I don't really know what her story does. She have a story. Everyone has. Yeah. She does. She doesn't really have one. And that's not her fault. She I think that Charisma Carpenter is does the apps and it's funny on Buffy and I was never impressed with her by on Buffy. I think in mm-hmm. Angel she shows she does the very very best you can do with a a show that that of all things is having a problem writing a woman character which <laughs> good point which these guys shouldn't. 
Mm-hmm. Like this should not be the yeah. sh- like the, this is this is Joss Land, man. This should be the 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 realm. Like you can have like four incredibly strong women. Ca- it would be interesting to see what they did um, with her if if she had been able to turn into uh, like if she had been able to turn into Illyria or something like to do a yeah. different thing. That could oh been- now see that would have been interesting to watch. Now granted, I I have a I mean what Amy. At- I believe nothing against Charisma Carpenter. Um, I think Amy Acker is a, is a tremendously profound actress, and what oh, yeah. she did with Illyria was staggering. She's going to um, be. And on I don't the, know if Charisma uh, Carpenter would be able to pull too. that off. Yeah. Oh, um, she's the cellist. Uh, yeah. No. No. She's going to be on. Um, I might be. Maybe it's an X Men show. She's going to be on Runaways. I think. Or the new. She, oh, whatever. she's going to be in Runaways. I think so. Doing, yeah. Wait. 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 Stop. Go back. They're doing Runaways. Yeah, I think. Ooh. Um, hold on. All right, we're gonna look. We're gonna sidetrack. You know, you can unsubscribe if you want. There are only two more episodes. Um, <laughs> but there are other shows can be really specific. I guess we might eventually talk about runaways. Amy Acker, Amy Acker, um, who's been on Person of Interest for a little while, um, mm-hmm. is uh, going to be um, in the new show. Uh, no, it's not Runaways. The new show, Gifted, uh, in a world where mutated humans are treated with distrust and fear, an institute for mutants battles to achieve peaceful coexistence with humanity. Uh, the director oh. of the pilot episode is Brian Singer. Um, and uh, from <laughs> so, the- so Brian Singer is rebooting his own material for the third time. Um, or it's, yeah, and then uh, Blink is in it. She's a character named Kate Stewart. Um, Lorna Dane Polaris is in it. A character named Sam, please, please, please be, be Cannonball. Um, is in it. So, are they doing sort of a pseudo New Mutants thing? Maybe oh, I don't know. That's possible. Maybe um, setting I, something up there. I love the New Mutants. If you haven't, by the way, um, anyone who has Marvel uh, out there, the New Mutants, the entire run of the New Mutants is worth a read. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, one of probably my favorite comic book ever existed. Anyway, oh my my subscription to Marvel Unlimited is one of my best spent ten dollars every month. Have you read the New Mutants run? I have not. I think I'm beginning, going to now. Beginning to end, uh, it's it's All right. worth a read, and it's and it's its own thing, um, including New Mutants '98, the first appearance of Deadpool, um, Ooh. Uh, which I may or may not have in mint condition. Boom. Um, uh, I said boom, like I'm not 41. Um, <laughs> uh, what, okay. I, what I lo- what I love was it wasn't even you went boom. You you had like the boom, boom. It's so sad. Arthur was there yeah. on my twenty seventh birthday, and I'm coming up in like two weeks on my on my forty first. It's really sad. Um, <laughs> uh, moving forward, we get to uh, yeah, but you, it, yeah. To be fair, your place in tw- when when you were twenty seven, your place was a whole lot smaller than it is now. It was. Yeah. No. It's. it's I, I'm doing okay. Um, I love that immediately after they they established Cordy and Angel as starting to become a thing, the Grusalog shows up. Um, yeah. and, and we get a few episodes with Gru. I love Gru. I love Gru. Can I just say I don't I don't know what that guy ever went on to do. Um I never mm-hmm. I he might maybe he's I will say fun. he's he's very striking. He has the weirdest face. Like <laughs> he just has the weirdest facial structure. It's just I, I don't know what it is that's like so I mean it's it's not unattractive. It's just strange to me. <laughs> I know I should be talking about how, you know, like I, I always hate reducing an actor to any kind of like, you know, physical appearance sort of thing. But No, it's okay. It's Yeah, it's just, I mean, even in Pylea, I was like, what a weird face. Um, Okay, there's, uh, I want to talk real quick. I skipped over an episode, which I probably should. Um, 
Uh, there is an a, an episode that I just want to glance over real quick called Birthday um, that we skipped. Um, episode 11, um, on her birthday, Cordelia's visions become so painful they propel her to an astral state and a life-threatening coma. And visited by a demon guide, Astral Cordy is mystically granted the opportunity to live her dream of a rich and famous actress if she's willing to give up her history with Angel and her visions, which, of course, she mm-hmm. uh, she chooses not to do. I need to, to, to call Maybe- it out. Maybe this is the episode where they were trying to bring her into focus. Yeah. Um, and eventually it it becomes more because this is her first uh, contact with Skip. Right. Which is which is going to be incredibly important, her relationship with Skip. Um, yes. so, so I felt like I would be uh, Skip. Of course, I love Skip. I, I just- absolutely love... Here's the thing. First, I love Skip. Second, I hate what they ended up doing with him. Why? Why so? Um, well, just because if I remember correctly from season four, it turns out that he was kind of a bad guy all along, right? Um, yeah, except he was also, he was a bad guy who was kind of nice. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like he, they made him so charming and so likable. It just seemed like a little bit of a dick move to be like, oh yeah, he was working against you the whole time. Um, I felt, you know, I felt like I was being somehow punished for having liked him um i think i think there could have been something else that they could have done with him i see that i Um, I mean i got the i got the sense that there was really more sort of like a i mean and this happened all the time in season four like with the you know with it turns out that cordy had been possessed and was the one doing all these terrible things and everything like how many times in the writer's room were they thinking hmm we need we need some kind of big shocking reveal to show who the bad guy was hey why don't we take this character that everyone has liked and has been good and trusted and everything, and it turns out that they're them. I mean, okay, you do that once over a season, and there are good ways to do it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one being the perfect example of that. Uh, but with season f- with the ways that they did that in season four, it just felt a little heavy-handed. I I agree with you. It doesn't make me like him less because his design is so brilliant. And the actor does such a great job with it. And is the mm-hmm. is the actor not like the the like the like the guy who works like down in like the loading bay in the office who has had a relationship with someone? This what's like? I think it's the same actor. I think that guy like is in was it like a main ma- like a major guy in the office? I think. Oh man, I don't remember. I'd have to anyway. Check. Um, so uh, we say maybe that's their time to uh, bring Cordy into focus. There, however, um, at the end of in what is a of kind of a like bittersweet and then sweet and then horrible moment at the end of the episode. Uh, Angel gives Cordy some money to go have a wonderful uh, vacation with Gru, a sunny vacation because she wants to have sex with Gru. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, you see, you know, that's kind of sad because that's not what Angel wanted. But then he puts his, his son lovingly to bed and then Wesley sees the father will kill the son. The son. Okay, um, let's. Let me talk about this thing with Wesley here, because yes, this arc before about to before come we do, I want mm-hmm. to uh, I want to call out that um, that we will not see Cordelia again uh, for one, two, three, four episodes, um, which makes uh, which makes this very next episode we're about to talk about loyalty the first episode of Angel that didn't have anyone from the first episode of Angel except for Angel. You're um, right. And they they have just kind of she's not around for a bit, and they're just like testing the waters without her a little bit, which I think is yeah. is is telling. Anyway, well, I go think on. didn't she didn't she either in season three or season four didn't she actually get pregnant? Like the I actress. Don't know that. 
I don't know. I mean, to, like that was my impression because it would certainly explain why season four Cordy was pregnant for a whole lot of the time. I don't. Um, I don't know that. Um, that's really interesting. I yeah. don't know the answer to that. Which brings us to um, probably. <laughs> the, which brings us to uh, uh, probably uh, the the most memorable part of um of this season. The see the the moments that I remember Angel Four um mm-hmm. are are I'd say half of them are in the the group of episodes we're about to mention. Yeah. Um. Uh. We have uh, Wesley, um, who has become aware of Angel's uh, suddenly darker mood and uh, his craving for human blood. This is the episode Sleep Tight, of course, episode 16, Mm -hmm. airing on uh, March 4th, 2002. Wesley resolves to do whatever is necessary to protect Connor, even if it means betraying those he loves. Um, I'm going to immediately jump uh, to the next one, um, which is, uh, no, that's actually it. Though I guess loyalty and sleep tight, uh, you see together, um, both the one on February 25th and then on March 4th. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, this is uh, Angel for like for those of you who haven't seen it. Which again, once again, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Um, Angel's getting darker and darker. There's a prophecy that the father will kill the son. Angel seems to have a craving for human blood. Wesley sees it's going to happen. He kidnaps. Uh, he kidnaps uh, Connor. And he is almost stopped by Lorne in what is a brilliant moment, uh, like just a really cool, harrowing twist of, uh, you know, Wesley says, you know, Wesley and Lorne are, uh, you know, they're in the Hyperion and Wesley says he's just going to take Connor and put him down for his nap. And as he picks him up, Connor starts crying, I think. And Wesley just starts singing to him like a little soft lullaby, which, of course, means Lorne can read his thoughts uh, oh. And in the oh, and just the the look on Lauren's face is just fantastic. Uh, and what a cool little, what a uh, what a cool way of using Lauren's powers for that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Wesley, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong in the in the order of this, but Wesley abducts Connor, uh, yes. and then takes him to Julia, who had been working with Holst, who then yes. slits his throat and takes Connor to Holst. And you're sure this is one of those Joss moments, right? You're sure that, oh my gosh, they just killed Wesley. Yes. Yeah. It, um, I mean, it is not a pretty cut. Yeah. And you think that, like, like you think that Wesley's done. You think he's dead. Mm-hmm. Like, you think, okay, that's it. We just lost Wesley. Yeah. Um, I'm glad we didn't. Because uh, um, I guess you kind of have to jump into the very next episode, which we'll do too, uh, for giving uh, Wesley lies alone, bleeding to death and waiting for help, which may or may not come. Fred and Gunn try to solve the mystery of Wesley's disappearance. Angel searches feverishly for a way to rescue Connor from the Kortoth, which of course uh, doesn't uh, doesn't work. And then at the end of the episode mm-hmm. um, is the moment. Oh, yeah, this is the moment in uh, Wesley's hospital room? In Wesley's hospital. Yeah, room, you go ahead. Describe Angel that. Goes, describe describe how it impacted you, Justin. Oh my gosh! Well, it's all about me. I hope you understand that. Um, I'm just going to do the quote. <laughs> I've known uh, I've known you for more than ten years. We we've established the fact. Please right. continue. Uh, Angel, and this isn't about me. This is this is about writing, and writing is amazing. Um, hey Wes, I just I want you to know I understand why you did it. I know about the prophecies, and I know how hard it must have been for you to do what you did. I thought I was going to turn evil. You thought I was going to turn evil and kill my son. I didn't. It's important you know that. This isn't Angelus talking. It's me. 
It's Angel. You know that, right? Wesley blinks his eyes, wants to say yes. Angel says, good. And he grabs a pillow and shoves it down on Wes's face. You son of a bitch, you're going to pay for what you did. You took my son, you son of a bitch, you bastard, you traitor. You think I'd forgive you? Never. You're going to die. You hear me? You're going to pay. And see. Hey. And Angel yells, you took my son, you took my son. Um, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. And it's a, it that's- is a, once again, a wonderful, one of the things that, uh, uh, Buffy and Angel become known for is they subvert tropes. Uh, and one of the tropes, of course, and quite frankly, what they set it up as an expectation thing of, oh, we're expecting this big conflict. And then it's the, oh, no, he gets it. You know, I for, you know, you did this terrible thing, but I forgive you. I understand. There's actually a very touching, heartwarming moment. Um, that's the expectation that they do a really good job of setting up. And then the... Uh, then the reversal, uh, because it comes out of left field, is a fantastic punch in the gut. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's it's, And I think it, it goes back to everything that Wesley has been. I mean, at this point, I mean, this is... This is the the turning point for his character, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can point to the torture by faith, which, yes, is, is part of it. You can point to him taking uh, Connor in the first place, which mm-hmm. is, again, part of it. Um, uh, but him seeking that understanding and knowing that Angel knows, and yet it doesn't... Like, just the, the, mm-hmm. the moment when I... F- feel like it's that mo- you know there's this great line from the movie the crow where someone goes uh childhood ends the moment you know you're gonna die and i think that this is that sort of moment for wesley where everything that wesley had been before all silly wesley had still sort of popped in and out here and there mm-hmm. um uh he but this is the moment where that is completely erased in my opinion the moment where it's just like there is going to be nothing but despair for the most part for Wesley from this point forward. Here is my thought with Wesley um, in that, in that it's, this is actually, I think instead of a reversal, I mean, I agree with you. Yeah. It's, this is the moment where Wesley just abandons himself to the dark, Uh, not in terms of the evil, but just the, um, to the, as you say, despair. Um, And, I don't think this is a reversal from the silly Wesley that we saw in Buffy or at the beginning of Angel. I, I don't know. I don't think it's a yeah, reversal. No, no, no. I, I think, think I think it's actually the inevitable, not inevitable, but this is the conclusion of it. This is the extension of it. Uh, and here's why. And Wesley is a, Wesley is a wonderfully well-written character. Um, let me say that straight up to begin with. Uh, my, 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 I think the most, the most realized character. Yes, the, the most realized character. However, to me, the reason why he's the most realized character um, is because of his huge fatal flaw, his hubris, um, which I know a lot of my friends actually, it's the thing that they love most about him and sort of relate to with him. But Wesley keeps putting himself into situations where he sort of sees himself as, having to make the hard choice. We've talked about it before of, you know, he's he's sort of, you know, he says, well, if somebody has to do this terrible thing, then let it be me so that goodness can be done. Um, and I think Wesley has an addiction to martyrdom. A, a slight one, but 
he casts himself as the martyr far too easily. Uh, and again, this is not a flaw of the writing at all. I think it is a fantastic, real flaw of Wesley's character. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. Um, up to and including the very end of that arc when the show is over. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that that is absolutely true. Uh, and did he dig the whole firm? I mean, I think, I think they say that like when, that when you take crack that you're instantly addicted. Mm -hmm. I think this is his first hit of martyrdom. Uh, it's probably, like it's probably, he's, it's probably, he's I'd say he's, he's gone through gateway. Let's say he's used, uh, he's used, he's used gateway sacrifices before this moment, but yeah, <laughs> this is the biggest one. Um, well, and um, I mean, and here's and the reason why forward, I'm thinking about that. And this yeah. is the, at the time watching it, it, this was a thing that really made, I was really pissed with this when I first saw it because really, yeah. And here's why, and not that, not this scene, but this, the beginning of this arc, the fact that Wesley, I mean, you know me, I, some people love inter-party conflict. To me, I am much, I usually much more enjoy a story where it's a group of people united, you know, perhaps even rivals, but united against an outside threat, uh, cooperative versus competitive. Um, to me, if I were in this situation, you know, let's go to total hypothetical or something. Yeah, sure. So, um... You know, so yeah, my friend has been evil before, and there's this prophecy uh, that's saying something. But does the you know now years of work that he's done with Angel, uh, or like he does, he doesn't take any of that into account. The trust that he has with his friend, the fact that there have been prophecies that have specifically been subverted. Like this is not the first apocalyptic prophecy that Wesley has looked at. I mean, even in Buffy, sure, yeah, even in Buffy. The thing is, we've all been there. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, even in Buffy, the whole thing is, oh, there's a prophecy. Well, shoot, let's work together and make it not come to pass. Uh, that is an established thing, and yet Wesley's first thought, rather than going to Angel with this and saying, "Hey, I think this is something we really need to watch out well, for," Wesley or, would be the first person in the world to say there are many prophecies and many ways to interpret prophecies. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But but that but there it is. It's that first thing. Uh, there's that sense of, oh, no, someone is going to need to do this terrible thing for the good of all. And it like might as well be me. Wesley keeps looking for swords to fall on. And I think, again, this comes, I agree. This comes out of uh, silly Wesley in Buffy. He was silly, but also he was somebody who desperately wanted to be respected as a watcher. He desperately wanted... And then Rogue Demon Hunter Wesley, this yeah. is absolutely that he, guy too. He, yeah, he, he no, desperately wanted... He want... Like, I won't call it Slayer Envy, but he yeah. wanted to be the one who had the, who had to shoulder the great responsibility. To a certain extent, it was it's a little bit of narcissism. Uh, and again, this is not... Um, you know, I think Wesley's a wonderful character, and God knows this is a flaw that a lot of really, really good people have. Um, we, it is very easy when you are fighting the good fight to fall into the trap of martyrdom. Uh, very easy. Sure. And Wesley does, I think. I agree with you. Um, so uh, the next episode is, you know, it's a step down. Um, it's fine. 
uh, that word that you like so much. Double or nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, um, in the, I would say the A plot of that episode is your typical, you know, angel, you know, monster of the week episode. Which uh, which was double Gun, or nothing? Uh, the plot of double or nothing. Oh, is, is this uh, the one with Gun? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Um, and it's fine. Um, it's fine. And it's. I don't really want to talk about the A plot at all. What I do want to talk about is the B plot, which is you know, angels kind of dealing with the loss of Connor. Um, and the scene at the end, the the only scene I really want to talk about in the episode is the scene at the end where Angel starts dismantling the crib in the bedroom. Ugh. Um, so tough. Yeah, just so tough. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and again, you know, wonderful stuff between Gunn and Fred. Mm -hmm. You know, again, I, I never liked the Gunn and Fred relationship. It mm -hmm. was never, I it never rang true to me. Um. You know, it it felt you know, Gun and Fred felt very much like I'm gonna pull from my other podcast, um, very much like Seven and Chicote. Like it was just like mm -hmm. this is the this is the relationship I guess we're doing now. No. But I never ever I never mm -hmm. felt it. Yeah. You're um, agreeing? Disagreeing? Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean I didn't I didn't feel one way or the other about it. I mean, it seemed to me like Wesley and Fred, if there was going to be shipping involved, would be the obvious one, which is probably why and this is something that also happens on TV shows all the time. Um, I have this theory. Uh, what The thing that happens all the time is people are like, oh, you know, clearly these two are meant to end up together, but we can't do that right now. So let's we've got to throw this obstacle in the way and let's have Fred fall for somebody else instead. Um, the, my own personal feeling is that. Uh, my own personal feeling is that the entire uh, script writing world is terrified of recreating Ross and Rachel. Um, and so because of that, no one trusts the uh, the fact that, or we could just have two characters get together and stay interesting. I, just, you, I don't know how easy it is to make them interesting. I'll be honest, um, because it goes back way, but I mean, like like you and I are gonna show our ages here, but that, it goes back before Ross and Rachel. I think the, the, the key example is Dave and Maddie from Moonlighting. Mm -hmm. um, like, like that's a show that lived on the will they, won't they, will they, won't they, or almost like Han Solo and Princess Leia, like will they, won't they. And then when they finally do, it's awful. And it's just not very... And then the same thing happened. You get Tony and Angela, who's the boss, back mm -hmm. in the 80s. And that was all about the tension and was it there? Did they like each other? Didn't they? When they finally got together, again, it fell apart. I mm -hmm. would say that Ross and Rachel are one of the few where it worked. Like and, it, like, and yes, you took them back in part, but you, like, in the time they were together, I enjoyed them being together. Hmm. Um, but the, but I think the problem that you run into is just that, that characters are written a certain way to be antagonistic toward each other, but like, like relationships going well are not, are not interesting. Oh, well, I think, it's, but like again, that, well, here's the thing. I, I agree with you. I think it is, it, I agree with you. They're interesting to be in. They're it's just not quite, interesting to watch. It's, it's hard. Um, to make that interesting. But again, it goes back to what I was talking about before. It's about, are you looking at internal conflict or external conflict? Um, if all, if the camera's focus, if the metaphorical camera's focus is only on the two people in that relationship, then obviously for the sense of the story, you want conflict because that creates the drama. But that's assuming that the majority of the focus is on those two. If those characters are, you know, just two of many other characters. And especially if 
the majority of the conflict that you're dealing with comes from outside sources, like, say, demons trying to kill you, then sure. what can be equally, then to me, what can be equally exciting to watch is two people learning to work even more as a team. Um, you know, yes, absolutely, conflict, you know, conflicts will happen. And this, as you well know, even in a successful marriage or relationship, conflicts arise, but it's because you've just discovered something new about your partner. And it's about adjusting to make space for that. And that, I think, can be just as interesting to watch, especially if you're if your focus is also cast, like if the antagonist is elsewhere, is outward. Yeah, no, and I and I and I agree with you. And I think it works maybe a little better when the characters start out together. Like I, I one of my favorite shows from the '90s is a show called Mad About You, a show that yes, I was just forgot. thinking about that. You're absolutely right. Um, but that's a show where they start together. They're mm-hmm. like they're the characters are crafted specifically to be well paired as opposed to specifically to draw attraction to one another. Mm-hmm. I do think I'm a big fan of the flash right now. And I, and I will say this about watching the flash. Um, the, the characters of, of Barry and Iris um, are constantly semi breaking up with each other. They're constantly mm-hmm. having some reason where like a reasonable person could sit down and go, Hey, you know, I see why this happened. I think we mm-hmm. can work it out. Yeah. But for the sake of the show, it does feel very much like, oh, you did this perfectly reasonable response, which is actually really, really a good thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. And yes, it may may have been a little bit awkward, yeah. but I think it's okay. So why don't we just stick together? They don't do that. Or it's like, oh, <laughs> I heard this one sentence of a phone conversation completely out of context that led me to believe one thing. And now that I know the truth, it still made me think. And I got to go And I got to go think. Yeah, uh, you know yeah. what it is? Um, we're completely tangenting. I don't care. Um, sure, that's fine. Yeah, you know what it is? It's with the relationship. Unsubscribe. It's, it's the same. <laughs> um, it's the same thing in actual real life. Like how many of us in high school or college or something had that friend, uh, you know, who was awesome and we hung out together and it was great. And then, you know, he found, uh, you know, a girlfriend or what have you. And they just became... And it went from just being him to always being them. And the thing is, sure. there was nothing wrong with the girlfriend. They were clearly happy together. Like, you wished nothing but the best for them. It looked like a stable relationship. And yet, ah, oh, you miss just being able to hang out with him, you know? And and as the viewer, you're that friend. Yeah, that's it exactly. As, yeah. That's you. Your relationship is you're that friend. Mm-hmm. So this other person is there. And I think it's better if you meet a, if you meet people as if a couple. If you meet people as a couple, then that's yeah. the expectation that's from the Yeah, that that's a good point actually. If you take two people who started off single uh in a show and you put them together, you have to accept that the nature of their characters and the nature of the way that the viewer interacts with them is going to change. That doesn't mean that it can't be done well, but you're right. It, that And that that is a very hard chasm to get across. Spoilers for Serenity. But mm-hmm. don't you kind of wish that it had been someone other than Wash who died so that you could say that Joss managed to take a... a married or, or or a you know connected relationship and just have it be okay from beginning not okay that to have struggles but mm-hmm. to have it survive from beginning to end because if you cut out the last 15 minutes of serenity then then wash and zoe are that they, they are a, that's true because they, they, they are a great healthy couple that 
certainly has their moments. Um, they struggle, but struggle, they have but they, individual relationships with everybody. Yeah, and they and they trust each other and respect each other. And yes, they, let's think they make a great team, but they have their own individual identities. Um, and it's okay that Mal at one point really doesn't like Wash, and Wash really doesn't like Mal, but mm-hmm. Zoe is okay with both of them. That's yeah, that's okay. That's a good point. Um, like that's like everybody's you know, uh, and you know they because Wash because Wash I mean, that, understands that um you know Wash understands that. Zoe has this huge history with Mal that is not romantic in any way, but is still like, but is still major. And damn, uh, that was a good show. Yeah, that was a very good show. Um, yeah, that's a good point. The uh, it is, and certainly Angel doesn't. Uh, it doesn't an- happen in Buffy. Yeah, it doesn't happen mo- in Buffy. Doesn't happen in Angel. Angel does not diverge from the concept of any relationship is doomed. Probably to end saying, in something horrible. Like, like, I like. It's just something that Joss does. Don't do it anymore. I'm looking at you, Fitzsimmons. I'm looking at you, Fitzsimmons. <laughs> I'm just saying, Fitzsimmons. <laughs> Joss Whedon's name is still on that show. Yeah. So don't die and don't break up because I'm going to be really mad. Well, okay, here's Fitzsimmons. The, here's the thing that's interesting. So Buffy and Angel were a product of the '90s and the early aughts. Um, sure. And. Back then, the whole, because I think, you know, the early 90s and the 80s were a time of relationship optimism. Uh, And we saw that in sitcoms and stuff like that. There were, but it was very sort of toothpaste surface, you know, uh, that was the golden age of Disney. Guy gets the girl, they fly off into the sunset happy. That's why a show like, that's that's a show, why a show like Mad About You, which goes to dark places mm-hmm. um was so standout in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. So anyway, the so the end of the 90s and everything that was that was really about challenging that idea of happy ever after. Uh Mad About You did it in some wonderfully subtle and well-developed ways. I think uh you know Buffy and Angel took a bit of a sledgehammer to the approach, but that was still the approach. Now what we're seeing in TV with stuff like This Is Us or even Modern Family, what I love is there's sort of the sense of, okay, you know, for the longest time we had this fantasy. Then in the 90s and the 2000s, and I'm really generalizing here, but in the 90s and the 2000s, we took a hammer to that fantasy and smashed it to pieces. And now for the first time, what we're seeing is television that is really working at building the reality. So that, you know, how wonderful that people growing up, you know, because we all learn about what to expect about love uh, and relationships from what we see on TV. Stories are infinitely powerful that way. How wonderful is it that now people growing up are going to get a chance to see uh, some incredibly well flushed, fleshed out relationships that that show the hardship, but not in a soap opera way, just in very real, uh, simple uh, ways. Uh, I think and that's yet, cool. Lingering in the background being 30 years old, The Simpsons is going, bitch, we're still here. Yeah. That's right. Simpsons, we the were Sim- there in the 80s. We were there in the 90s. We were there in the aughts. And that's a good point. And, now. and the shit, like, we're not the, going away. Because that's the thing. Because I remember in the 90s, the most beautiful thing about this, in the 90s, the most beautiful thing about The Simpsons was that it's like, oh, see, they fight. But at the end of the day, Homer always chooses Marge. She always chooses Homer. It's great. The problem is, is 25 years later, you are starting to ask, okay, but if there's this much problem, maybe they really do need to rethink the fundamentals here. And maybe they're not, maybe they're really not a good fit. 
Well, except they just will make it through. I mean, at The Simpsons, it's, I love that they never age. I love that it's yeah. always the same time. But like The Simpsons truly are like that old couple that just stayed together. Mm-hmm. Just, just, you know, where they don't yeah. really seem to get along all that well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know what momentum it, Homer, <laughs> you, but you're driving too fast. No, I'm not. Mar- I just see like they're they're already like that 90-year-old couple. I love it. Inertia anyway, is one so- of the most Yeah, inertia is one of the most powerful forces in the universe and especially when it comes to relationships. Um so, anyway, uh, what were we talking about? So yes. Uh Angel uh again the price it doesn't have uh much of um of I mean, look here. I just want to take a look at the price. Make sure that I am giving it its due. Um, uh, the price uh, deals uh, with do 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 slugs in the swimming pool at the Hyperion. Is there anything in here really worth talking about? I mean, pretty nope. much season three, season four. Are there any yeah. monster of the weeks worth talking about, or should we just yeah. stick to the main arcs? Because we, we, we deal with yeah, we deal with. Holtz there a little bit, but let's talk about what really matters is that at the end of the episode, a teenager jumps through uh, a portal and says, hi, dad. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. Um, um, so before we get into what happens next, because this is a good enough time to talk about it. How do you feel about Connor, son of Angel? I think Connor, the poor guy both actor and uh and I'm really glad to see that he continued to make a lot of himself. Um Oh my gosh, yeah, like yeah. like like let, let let's just say uh for those of you who go Connor who where have I seen that name Vincent Kaiser? It's Mad Men. Dude. Mad Men. Like yeah. and this I said, guy this what, guy was what, huge. what I love the most is that Mad Men it starts and I'm watching and I'm just like, "Oh, it's Connor in a suit. Still is whiny, still is like sort of but then he grows and does really interesting things with that. Um, but here's the thing with Connor. I think Connor suffered from... Connor is kind of the dawn of uh, of Angel. Um, dawn in the sense of dawn from Buffy. In that yeah. he was introduced primarily not for his own sake, but to create conflict with another character. And because of that, it to make those arcs work, he was forced into some awkward situations. God, especially in season four. Um, a lot of these arcs hinge on him being weak. Uh, in the same way that a lot of Buffy season five hinged, because Buffy season five, a lot of it was dis- you know discovering what it means to be a sister. A lot of it hinged on the sister being weak and frustrating. Uh, yeah. The problem is, is that in or you know, and in much the same way, you know, season four of Angel is about a father dealing with the you know, season three and season four to a certain extent about a father dealing with a frustrating kid. I mean, in a very soap opera way, but still, the problem is that when you have a character who's frustrating to the characters, it is very hard to keep them from being frustrating to the viewers as well. Um, now, so this I, is, this is. My observations regarding Dawn is that over time, in the in the five years since we did this, mm-hmm. um, uh, I feel like Dawn has sort of turned a corner in the way that people feel about her. How so? Like maybe she maybe she holds up better to binge watching. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with, a, I, with a few very specific scenic <laughs> exceptions. Sure, um, but uh, but I feel like I feel like Dawn um, has I feel like Dawn has held up. Um, better mm-hmm. than 
than Connor has because I I get the feeling that people kind of like Don when I say oh yeah people like like when I talk about it like they they've come around on her a little bit yeah um I've not seen that from Connor and the thing is for me is I I always liked Connor better than Don mm-hmm. I really liked that relationship between Angel and Connor and I don't know I I never got the Connor hate to be honest I thought that he was. I thought that he was a a good place to take Angel. So it was, it's interesting when I hear how much people dislike Connor. And here's the thing. Um, like, interesting. I didn't dislike Connor that much in season three uh, because nothing about his confusion in season three seemed forced. And what a fantastic gut punch of a cliffhanger the end of season three was. Um, yeah, we're about to you get know, there. And, and Connor was a crucial part of it. There were some things in season four that... It wasn't necessarily that they were bad choices on Connor's part. It was just that, um, you know, I'm skipping ahead just for a brief moment or something. I'm sorry. When the answer, you know, because there's been a plenty of will they, won't they going on with Angel and Cordelia here. You know, they've set it up as the, you know, as the ship of the show. Um, and then when their answer to the will they, won't they is actually no, she's going to sleep with Connor instead. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll oh, get there. Good. We'll get there. We'll but get but, there. but you, you asked me what was the moment for me with Connor, and that was the thing. It's just like, it's not Connor's fault. It's the writers here. But, oh, just, uh, uh, just. But on the, but here's the thing. I always felt that in the list of people at fault, the person most at fault is is the writers, then Cordelia. Then Cordelia. No, I agree with you then on that. Connor. But, and but poor Connor did get. controlled. I can't tell. Poor Connor like, did like, get caught in the crossfire of that, though. Yeah, I mean, because because the truth of the matter is is that is that when you're a young man and a and a full grown woman who you've also looked up to. Oh no! If start, I were in Connor's like, situation, I would have done the exact same thing. Um, well, so it, and, again, and 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 it's the flip side too. If it if it had been an older man doing that to a younger woman that he used to, you know, change her diapers as a baby, we would also say, okay, in order writers don't do that mm-hmm. then the man doing that yeah true and then Good point. we would we would see the woman as as as, as more of the victim. Of a victim in that yeah. situation you know what you're absolutely so, right with that so yeah i i don't want to make it uh um yeah i don't necessarily this is not actually blaming the characters for having sex with each other or anything like that i'm not going down that rabbit hole i'm just saying as the like you want to be? I will. You, I'll blame Cordy. Yeah. Okay, but Cordy you was maybe possessed. Maybe, but maybe. Who know. knows? I don't know. And that's another problem with we. Sh- let's finish season three, shall we? Yeah. So so um so essentially the 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 first thing the main points that happen. Let's just let's rush to the finish here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main points that happens. Uh, Angel breaks up relationship. Uh, the or Grusalog feels like the relationship's been broken up because of how Cordelia Cordelia feels about Angel. Mm-hmm. Angel on he's on again off off again with his relationship with his son. It's sort of how it feels like. I hate mm-hmm. you, Dad. No, I like you, Dad. I'm confused, Dad, but we're okay. Okay, oh, we're totally okay. totally okay. Psych, you're in a boat. Psych, yeah, um, you're in a boat. Um, real quick. Uh, just a quick thing touching on the Gru. I did like the way that they finished the Grusalog's arc by making him the one who made the realization that Cordy loved Angel. You know, it gave him, it gave him, uh, you know, emotional strength for him to be the one who told Cordy that. And I loved the line when after he has basically said, Cordelia, you love Angel, not me. And she said, oh, Gru, I, I don't know what to say. And his response was, say that I'm wrong, please. Like, 
<laughs> it was such a, no one ever responds to the, I don't know what to say. And I love that. He's like, yeah. I know what you should say right now. But yeah, absolutely. Um, so at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, because two things happen. One I really like, and one I really don't at the end of tomorrow, the last episode, mm-hmm. uh, episode 22 of season three airing on five twenty of Oh two. Um, of course we've talked away really quickly through a new world benediction in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, three things happen. Actually, the first thing that happens is, uh, Wesley and Lila. Um, yeah, this is so skeezy. Mm-hmm. And so slimy, and, and so, so makes sense. I love, yeah, I, I love the hell out of it. I mm-hmm. love it so much. Um, Man, uh, that, that I will that say they did a great job of arguably one of the most realistic jobs they've done. One of the most realistic relationships they've captured is that sort of, oh my god, I hate you, but there's chemistry. Um, yeah, I hate you. This is, and we're kind of punishing each other. Th- this is a relationship based on self. Dis- this is a relationship based on despair, and both of us desperate to do anything to hold off the loneliness. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 awesome. Um, mm-hmm. The second thing that happens is, of course, uh, Connor tricks Angel into um, a coffin and throws him to the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the the moments are so gut wrenching where where Angel's pretty much like, "I forgive you." Like it's it's. Like Angel's thoughts as he's sinking is Connor. I don't want this to destroy you. Mm, yeah. Um, as a dad, let me tell you, that hits me so hard. Like yeah. if something untimely happens to me, um, if if I'm in a plane, the plane's going down. Mm-hmm. My thoughts are gonna be my kids. Oh my god, my kids. Mm-hmm. And that's all that Angel's thinking about is he's thinking about his kid. Yeah. No matter how he doesn't even feel the betrayal of to himself. Mm-hmm. It's about his kid. I, for a character who can be horribly selfish, mm-hmm. um, I love that. Yeah, a lot. Absolutely. Then there's Cordelia, Angel Cordy, Angel Cordy. Uh, yeah. They're gonna meet. She's gonna say how she feels. I love all of it. I want them to get together. He's gonna meet her at the cliff. It's gonna be a big deal. I love all of that. Mm-hmm. But then Cordelia sends to a higher plane of existence. Uh, that's so just Cordelia Wesley Crushers at the end of the episode. Really? Yeah. Really? And I don't know if I hate it in this episode or I just kind of hate it as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. Like, like if this had been her final episode, I might be slightly more okay with it. Yeah. Um, if she was like, I mean, here's the thing. Cause the thing is they come so close to getting Angel and Cordy together and then pull the rug out from under us. And that is totally forgivable. I mean, heck, that's good storytelling sometimes. Clearly, they wanted to have that impact. But then pretty much Cordy becomes a nothing character for the, you know, for season four. She just becomes a, or it's, everything's just weird with her from then on out. So it's not even like a, oh, they were going to get together, but then, oh no, Cordy's been killed, which would have wrecked us and would have become one of the iconic moments in Angel uh, because it would have answered the question with finality. And, but instead they ascend her to, you know, some higher plane at this episode. And then at the big, be- and then at the first episode in season four, bring her back all weird and amnesia ish and leave us for the rest of season four wondering, okay, so when the hell are we? Are they going to fix Cordy so we can deal with this massive unresolved question from the end of season three? 
Like, yeah, no, it was I'm, just and, it was then, taunting us with no closure. Yeah, and and she remains weird through season four, and then in a coma for the first mm-hmm. half of season five. Yeah, and, and then her one episode in season five was amazing. Great. Was great. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, uh, I this episode should have ended on a shot of Cordelia at the cliff. At the cliff, wondering Wait, where Angel was. Yes. Cut yes. to black. Cut to black. Produced mm-hmm. by Dross Whedon and David Greenwald. Cut to black. Yes. Oh, God. Um, this episode marks the final appearance of both Holtz and Grew. Mm-hmm. We loved you. Yes. You were amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, my gosh. Just, just you, you screwed the pooch on Cordy and you never... I feel like... Poor Cordy, I like her. I mean, the one thing they did well, again, right was they made me like her. Yeah, and I that's didn't true. Even like her that much in Buffy. But you I know what? Totally... I, d- I feel like this is a continuation of that same problem that you mentioned before. That Cordelia was never really defined, and this seemed like them trying to define. They were trying to artificially put a definition on her identity because one never really organically grew out. I will tell you. If you're ju- if you're what you're doing is trying to have a character ascend to a higher plane of existence. Mm-hmm. If you're writing a show and that's what they do, um, Arthur, when when you and I uh, are um, are both uh, Hollywood writers together, mm-hmm. um, and we're in the writers' room, and I come to you and I say, "Hey, Arthur, I have an idea. Let's take this character as we write. Uh, you and I co-writing ninjas versus you know mummies, musical theaters, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, n- n- ninjas versus ninjas, bags, ninjas versus point. actors." Yes, ninjas versus actors. And I say, I have an idea. Let's have Daniel Ross ascend to a higher plane of existence. Want you to say to me, no. Okay. No. No, but see, here's the thing. The reason why Daniel Ross ascending to a higher plane of existence would work is because his character in ninja stuff is very much, he is the last one you would associate with higher plane of existence. He is filthy and... Uh, you know, and sarcastic. Daniel Ross and himself better. is actually well, on a higher plane of existence. Yeah, he really is. Um, but you know, but uh, but Kyle, the, that's the character's name, right? Kyle. Um, yeah. And so, if it was shoot, say if Doyle had stayed around until now, yeah. Doyle ascending to a higher plane of existence. That works because there's surprise there. Because what the fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> we, exactly. Like that is literally what he'd be saying as he's phasing up. But Cordy has already become the milk toast druid mother. Like her ascending, it's like, okay, I guess this is what you were setting up. But yeah. And here's the just... thing. Her standing on the cliff waiting to see what happens to Angel is heartbreaking. Is so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. What are you doing? I mean, Why? and then just, and then, have, and here's the only thing I can think is that I don't know the, the meta of this. But I know, you know, Charisma Carpenter was looking to sort of leave the show. I think I, at some point in there, she got pregnant um, and absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, are, uh, but are they trying to like write her off for a few? Episodes yeah. Are they? Tra- yeah. Are they, they are they phasing her character? Are they rolling her characters uh, or phasing well, her out hell? slowly? She was just off for a few episodes. Write her off. The- leave her off. Why bring her back? Yeah. Why bring her back for two episodes? Like, like, like. Just have her come back in the middle of season four going, it didn't work out with Gru. Yeah. I love Angel, maybe. But they want to have their cake and eat it, too. They're like, we need to have the moment on the cliff and also write her off the show. Mm. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah, I mean, and because and the thing is, for the record, I think it's they failed with trying to do too much. I mean, for the record, if you ended the season with just Connor tasing Angel and then dropping him into the ocean, 
that's that's a pretty good cliffhanger just all on its own. Yeah. Yeah. But but if you but if you cut to the quiet shot of her looking for him to show up, that's uh, then, like, then that's where the, you get the, the pathos. Twist of the knife. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah, that's uh, it. That's the twist of the knife moment. Yeah. You know, and Lauren also leaves for Las Vegas too. It's worth noting that that was the case. Like, here's what I wonder. Mm-hmm. Here's the real thing that I wonder. Um, although this can't possibly be the case because this is this is season three. Uh, lines up with season what of Buffy five? Season six. These season six. So this was the only time in the history of these shows that they knew that they were going to get renewed. That Joss has said this is the only right. the only season of Buffy he ever knew where they were, he was sure that they were getting renewed. That's was true. Season six. Yeah. Um. But this seems like a, this could be a series finale. All of this, like, because Lauren also leaves for Las Vegas at the end of the. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just be like, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking at the end. And here's the thing: they screw the pooch, and it's such a great moment. There's so much great stuff at the end. They screw the pooch on this. They seriously screw the pooch. At the uh, at, at the end of season four, like it's part of the reason. Like when I say the show is good, I understand when I say it's my favorite of the two, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe one of my favorite. Like like it's definitely my top five favorite shows of all time. I've come out as saying said saying that I think that season five of Angel mm-hmm. is the greatest season of television ever produced. You and I are going to have to debate that when we get there. I you um, know I won't have. I mean, it's you know me. I don't like ranking things to that degree. I will happily yeah, say that I will happily about. say that Angel season five is a fantastic season and my favorite season of Angel. Um, and yeah. I will possibly say that the ending to Angel is one of the best. Uh, oh, series. We'll have to save it. That's a yeah, story. That's, that's a, a story. That's a story. Oh, that's going to be good. We could spend thirty. Over. We could spend you, thirty you minutes came, on the. Yeah, you, I can't, You came over to watch. Yeah, okay, it so you need to know. I had already seen it. I came over to watch. Just and I will completely admit. La, la, I can't. La, 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 la. We'll wait. It. Save it. Save it. Save it. Save it. Save it. There's I came over. Something to look I came over to. to watch my friend suffer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um. There's a lot of good stuff coming mm-hmm. uh, on pop off uh, as we as we as we wrap it up. We'll try mm-hmm. not to screw the pooch. We'll try not to screw. The- um, wait, 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 no, no, wait, wait. What, what do you say? Are you giving me a no spoilers thing? Because oh no, you're saying screw the pooch isn't like deliver a sucky podcast, aren't you? Yeah, no, 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 no. no. Oh, I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying to say that I, I'm going to try not to have Arthur ascend to a higher plane of existence <laughs> when he could have been just, doing something dramatic and interesting. Well, technically, I suppose Orlando could be considered a higher plane. Orlando is a higher plane of existence. <laughs> Would it be great if suddenly there was like a Buffy show set in Orlando, but like it's really short because all the vampires die because well, no, it's sunny. Well, actually, I, t- I, I tell you, I'll just give you a thing for uh, um, if you haven't read the uh, the Dresden Files. Great, great, great uh, modern wizardry series. Um, okay. But there was a I've got a role playing group here and we put together a Dresden Files uh, role playing game that took place in Orlando. And a lot of it dealt with, OK, if there was a supernatural, how the hell would it work in Orlando? And our concept was everything takes a holiday everything so you know this is the place so orlando is the place where even like the demons come to let loose and just have some fun but then of course it brought up the question of disney and then we were like wait a minute no disney would totally know about all the supernatural disney knows everything that goes on in orlando so we created disney has its very own essentially initiative 
team that deals with what? the supernatural. Like the concept. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't it make sense if there were vampires? You would think vampires would be a real threat to tourism. Disney wouldn't like that. Disney would. There are tunnels beneath the Magic Kingdom for crying out loud. Like Disney would have its own clandestine ops team to deal with this sort of thing. Like I just love. Should to you go- be saying this? Is this okay for you to be saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. Because um, I because to- I totally want to ask. Do you think it's really there? Do you think they really have it? Is there like the yeah. the, the, the hit squad, the Disney hit squad? <laughs> like they like they all they look like the agents from the Matrix, but they all have like the mouse here. Well, that's the thing. I just love the concept of all of these badass vampires and werewolves, and suddenly being like, "Oh shit, it's the mice!" And then everyone like scampering <laughs> because the Disney troop is here. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's a total a random thing. But anyway, my name is Justin, and I'm Arthur. Popping off. The Totally Super Podcast is coming to Geeks Radio. Justin and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. Search for Totally Super Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Totally Super Podcast 2017.